Why don't we just give this afternoon to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for bringing us together, Father, into your house today to sit under the ministry of your word. And Lord, we ask, Lord, that today you would begin to stir something in our hearts, that you begin to put a fire in our hearts, Lord, concerning the mission field and the need to be out there making disciples of men, fishing men and women into the kingdom of God. And Lord, we recognize, Lord, that there are many things that would hinder us and challenge us from doing that. Some a lack of knowledge, some sin, some a resistance to the kingdom. But Lord, we pray that today there'll be a breaking off of the hardness of heart, Lord God. There'll be a transformation, Lord God, as we begin to see the plan and the purpose that you have for each and every single one of us. Lord, we pray, Lord God, that you begin to stir us with a passion to be disciple makers, Father, that would go into this land, that would go into the offices of Canary Wharf, that would go cleaning the offices right around this city that would go into the families and the homes that would go into the communities to make disciples. Lord Jesus, we recognize that this is your greatest command to go into all the world and to make disciples of men. And so Lord, we pray, stir something in us. Let this go beyond just a message that we come to hear, but let it be something that that defines and changes and shapes our life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may take your seats. It's great to be here with you today. It's probably been about eight weeks since I preached my last sermon, so I hope I'm not too rusty, but I'm sure we'll be be all right today. We're um, ministering a series, or we have been ministering a series, about people with a passion. That is, people that have caught something of a purpose, caught something of a vision for what the Lord is calling them to. And over the past couple of weeks, we've had uh, Dudley, we've had Esteban ministering on these two topics last week. Esteban was talking about the, the heart of a consolidator, somebody that will follow up somebody who's become a Christian, someone that will follow them to the place of discipleship, which is where we're going to step into today. And I, I, we might ask ourselves the question, you know what, discipleship, disciple making, that feels like a 2,000-year-old idea. Why would we ever need something like that today? I want to give you a few, a few reasons for that. The first is, Jesus commanded us to make disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he spoke to his 12, but also through speaking to them, has spoken to us across the millennia. Go thee therefore into all of the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you until the end of the age. Amen. So he commanded it. He said, listen, go and make disciples. You have no idea what that means? Don't worry, we're going to look at it today. But Jesus, giving us a command, should be enough reason for us to want to do it. The second is more of a practical issue, and this is really significant for all of us, is that the undigested Word of God... The Bible read that is not taken in and becoming a part of us is inadequate. It's inadequate for purpose. If all we do is come and sit in a service and hear what is spoken about, yet do nothing about it, we're wasting the potential of the Word of God. See, the Word needs to go beyond preaching. It needs to go where it is internalized. It becomes the very food that we live our lives on. We are to be shown how to do the life of Christ, not just how to understand, how to conceptualize, how to theorize, but how to live out on a daily basis what it is to follow Jesus. Why do we need that? Well, the the, the reality is and the tendency of man is towards a sin-centered self-government where we are controlled by our old man thinking. 
And that flows out of the fact that we are always somebody's disciple. Whether we feel like we're following somebody or not right now, you are. If you model yourself on or follow after the things that a famous footballer would do, you're being their disciple. If you model yourself or live like your father lived, you're being their disciple. If you identify with your boss or your best mate or your friends and you follow their actions, their attitudes, the words they say, the things they think, you are being their disciple. And I want to ask you a question. Are you conscious of who is leading you? Are you conscious of who you're following? Are you conscious of who is shaping the way that you think? Because every single one of us, if we are not careful, will have our, even the way we think, shaped by the environment around us. One of the most prevalent forms of that is individualism, where we, where we believe wholeheartedly that this has always been the way it's always been, that we are the individual, that we know the truth, that our truth is the truth, and we can live according to that. That's only come in in the last 50 or so years, yet for many, many hundreds of years before that, there was the standards of, standards of truth which pervaded society in this nation, a Judeo-Christian history. We live today based in the environment of someone's thinking 150 years ago, of we can just treat truth as however we want to make it up. Are we conscious that we're following that? Are we conscious that materialism and having all of the nice things as a value is somebody's ideology, and we are following that? Are you conscious that brand name makers at the top of the chain are making decisions that make you think that you look good because you're wearing their stuff? We are being shaped all the time, and the way that we think is being shaped all the time by the environment around us. And we would be very stupid, let me just use that word strongly, in love, because I do love all of you, that's why we share the word of God with you. But the ability to live like Jesus lived, the ability to love like Jesus loved, doesn't just develop in a void. You see, the liberal agenda is, you know, you just leave everybody to their own agenda and they ultimately will choose the best. Another one. They'll choose what's the best for them, not what's the best for those around them. They'll choose for how they can climb to the top themselves without being concerned about their fellow man. It's the way of the world. We need to intentionally live out the culture, the, the agenda, the ways of thinking of Jesus. Things like loving our enemies. You know, it's easy, as we've always spoken about, to love our friends and our family members. Well, you might ask questions about that, some of you. I don't love my family. We have good arguments and it's always great. Amen. <laughs> but when we hear this word, love your enemies, that challenges the way that everybody thinks. Love them and pray for them to be blessed. Really? Oh my goodness me, Jesus, you're another level. But we need to intentionally immerse ourselves in that kind of an environment where we are being shaped and transformed by the words of Jesus. And finally, just look at the world. We've looked at, well, Jesus commanded it. That's enough reason. We've looked at reasons for ourselves to grow like Jesus, but look at the world. The world needs disciples. 
It needs the people that are out there living for Jesus. It needs that hope, that faith, that love that springs forth from the gospel message. And so we're called to be a people that unite under that banner of Jesus, to spread the love of Christ, not Eros love, the free love of the 60s. We're talking about sacrificial love, agape love, where we choose to love people even when they're unlovable. We need that right throughout this nation. Let's bring it back to discipleship. What is discipleship? Acts 2, 36 through 39, Peter has just preached his first message on the day of Pentecost. And he says at the end, therefore let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, to your children, to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Here in this passage, I see four steps that are part of making a disciple. Repentance and belief, two. Water baptism, three. Baptism in the Holy Spirit, four. And if we're ever going to talk about discipleship or following Jesus, it's important that we recognize that there is this process by which somebody becomes a disciple of Jesus. It's not how we choose to make up how I want to follow Jesus. There is a word which has gone before which shows us how we follow Jesus and how we become a disciple. Think about those four things. Repent and believe. Be baptized in water. Be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's what makes you a disciple. In the world today, in many ch church traditions, you wait till the end of your life before you get water baptized. You might not even get Holy Spirit filled with tongues or with signs following. Here in this church, we teach that as soon as possible, get water baptized. As soon as possible, get baptized in the Holy Spirit because that is the entrance into being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I ask you today, have you been sure you're here today because you've repented and believed. I hope so anyway. I'll give you an opportunity if you haven't. Have you been water baptized? Have you been spirit baptized? Because that is your inheritance, that is your portion as you become a disciple of Jesus. See, the call to follow Jesus is quite literally a call to die. It's a call for the end. It's a call for the end of the old you. And we might be uncomfortable with the terminology, but we see when we encounter somebody like Jesus, somebody that has defined the entirety of humanity through his life and is still defining it through his life, everything else has to change. And that means everything else. You know, as you know, I recently got married to my lovely wife, Rebecca, some five weeks ago now, I hope. No, it's five weeks ago. And you know, life changes. You move in together. You've got to get rid of some stuff. You buy some of the same stuff. You've got to learn who gets up at what time and who goes to sleep at what time. You've got to figure each other out when people are in a good mood, people are in a bad mood, what they mean by the things they say. Life changes when you make that kind of a commitment. How much more does life change when we meet Jesus? 
Some of us try to squeeze Jesus in on the end instead of understanding that he is bigger than a marriage. He's more significant than a marriage. He's more significant than the entirety of our life. He calls us from the moment that we make a decision to follow him, to give up everything that went before and to go after him in an intentional way. See, up until the point we made the decision to follow Jesus, and for some of you today might be that day that you make that decision, we recognize when we decide to follow Jesus that up until this point we have lived a life controlled, even for some of you if you're honest, dominated by sin. And came to a point where you understood that you needed a savior. Both to forgive you of your past life, but also to set you free from sin so that you can live the new life that is in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus sets us free so that we can worship the Lord our God in holiness and in righteousness because that is what we are made to do. That is what we are constructed, built to do, to live holy and righteous before our God. And the simplest way to do that, as Paul shows us in Romans 7, is to die. So right at the center of this process of conversion initiation, the biblical way into Christ, we have the burial service for the old you, water baptism, where you live behind the old life, where we bury that life that's controlled by sin, and you get called to a new life to following Christ. And as you pass through those waters of baptism as spoken of of in Romans 6, there is very significantly and really an entrance into the eternal life of Christ as we are resurrected into his life. A disciple is somebody that has died to the old ways and is now pursuing Jesus with everything that they have. And you might be here today and say, you know what, Gabriel, all this talk of death, I don't even know why you're talking about us dying because I'm a good person, Gabriel. Sure, I, I know that you're, at least in your mind, you value what is good. You aspire to, uh, are inspired by goodness. But in scripture we see that sin is much more than what we think or aspire to. Sin, did I say this? Sin is more than just what we think or aspire to. I think I missed a word. Out of practice. I'll get back into it. Sin is more than just what we think about. More than just our intention. Sin is what we think, it's in our motivation, it's in our words, it's in what we do. We might aspire to goodness, but sin is what we do. And that is dishonoring to God. It's dishonoring to God when you look lustfully at somebody, when you have hate in your heart towards somebody else, when you rip somebody else off, when you have an idol before the living God, all of that is sin. And though we might be good in our intentions and our aspirations, in the practice of life, we demonstrate sin. And if we're sinning, we're lost and we need a savior. And many of you will have come to that point where you have made a decision to follow Jesus. And this process, repentance and belief, water baptism, spirit baptism, all of it is a means of grace. In Romans 6, it specifically speaks about water baptism being a means of grace because it's where you're freed from the life that is controlled by sin so that you might go forth and sin no more. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God coming to dwell on the inside of you, that's an act of grace. 
Why would God come to live in flesh? Because he loves, because of his goodness, because of his grace towards us. Today, I want to give you an opportunity now. If you're here and you don't know that you've left behind the old life, maybe you've called yourself a Christian by name but have never had an encounter with Jesus as your Savior and left behind sin and gone on to live a righteous life with him. I want to give you an opportunity to respond today right here in the middle of the service before we go any further because I want you to feed on what I have to say for the rest of this time. So what we're going to do is we're going to bow our heads together, all of us, and we're going to pray. And I would like for you to join us in this prayer. And if at the end of this prayer you say, you know what, I want to follow Jesus, I want to step out of nominal Christianity, I want to step out of whatever place I find myself in, and I want to follow Jesus, I want you to raise your hand at the end of this prayer. Everyone will have their eyes bowed, but it's giving you an opportunity to respond to this today. So let's all pray together. Father, we thank you that you have opened our eyes, that you have shown us the reality of our situation, that we desperately needed you. We needed your Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is just for those of you that are praying this prayer right now. And Lord, I recognize that I am a sinner and I need you today. I recognize that I need to repent, turn away from my previous way of doing things and turn towards you. Let's all pray again together. Because Father, we recognize that your way is the only way. Your way is the way of eternal life. Your way is the way of truth. Help us to walk free from sin that we might honor you every day of our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name. Let's just keep our heads bowed. Is there anyone here today who wanted to pray that prayer and has prayed that prayer in an intentional way? I want you to raise your hand. Thank you, sir. Anyone else who would like to respond today? You know that there needs to come a decision point. You need to move beyond nominal faith or false religion and follow Jesus. Simply raise your hand here today. Okay, well, we'll move on with the, the service, but I wanted to make sure that everybody here is the same in the same boat. Okay, so that's how we make a disciple. Somebody who's water-baptized, spirit-filled, repentant believer. And it's really important that we understand that that is the, the, the beginning part. God helps us by dealing with the old and putting his spirit in us so that we can live free and righteous in him. And that's a process. Learning to walk free from sin is a process. Learning to put the old man where he belongs in the water of baptism is a process. And we're walking that out every day. But I want to throw some thoughts out to you today because I'm sure there are some things that are going to challenge us, some things that are going to speak to our hearts. See, some people, they hear this term, be a disciple, and they assume disciple equals discipline. And discipline looks like how you behave. It looks like how you behave in public. It looks like making sure that you come to church with your Sunday best on. I'm enjoying wearing a suit that was a gift at my wedding today. Hallelujah. But it was a gift. I've come to show it off on his behalf, the guy who first, first gave it to me. But we might think we come to church and because of what we wear, because of the hallelujah, brother, everything's fantastic, praise the Lord Jesus, so good. 
oh, have you heard about this difficult situation with so-and-so? Oh, it's so terrible. Yes, yes, I've been praying about it. I've been deep seeking the Lord in intercession and prayer on my knees for a couple of hours a day. Yes, you know, I've been giving of my tithes. I hope all of you saw my envelope just as I waved it good and proper before we put it into the bucket. We assume that discipleship is the way that we behave and often associate it with how we behave in public. Then we get home and we just let it drop. You know what? Doing that discipleship stuff, that's such hard work. You've got to have this smile on your face 24-7 while you're around those church people. Thank God I live way down southeast where none of those KT people are cruising around the Nero's and the Starbucks having cell groups. I hope I don't run into them. Being a disciple is much more than just good behavior. If that's what you were shooting for, if that was your standard, I'm going to be a disciple and be good. If that was where you're going, I'm sorry, you've, you've aimed for the wrong thing. See, because Jesus calls us to something much more profound. Whole life transformation flowing out of a transformed heart. A renewed heart, a heart that catches a vision. Jesus has died for me. You know what? Jesus deserves my whole life. And then a life that is transformed out of that. It means that when you go home, you are consistently the same as you are on the, on, in public. When you spend time with your mates, you are the same as when you're at home chilling. It means that there is something that has happened radically in your life that means that you are now fully the new you in every sense of the word, whatever environment you might find yourself in. Disciples need somebody to follow, to show them how to do that. Timothy had Paul. I mean, Paul was able to say to him, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. You've seen how I eat, how I sleep, how I spend time working, how I spend time in the scriptures, how I spend time praying, how I spend time worshiping God, how I spend time preaching, how I spend time exhorting people. Everything that you've seen me do, having lived with me all the time, that's what you should do. Because I'm following Jesus, and as I follow Jesus, you follow me. And that's one of the challenges and the calls to us today, is to become a people, A, that follow Jesus. When we're at home, when we're at work, when we're at church. But then B, become people that others can follow in their walk of discipleship. So it works two ways. And for some of you, that will mean, and it's the way we structured the church, that you are following somebody yourself. You have your leader who is following Christ and helping you follow Christ. And this is what we want to look at today in the the core of the message, which is to do with Jesus' call of his 12. Jesus is walking along by the Sea of Galilee in Matthew 4, verse 18. He sees two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets And followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. What's significant about this is that Jesus went around calling men of profession. And when I, if I'm speaking about men, I'm including men and women here today. 
But he, ca- he went specifically to call men of profession and gave them a path to achieving their primary purpose, what God had put them on the earth for. And they understood the value of this. They understood the true value of this. And this is something the Lord's been speaking to my heart a lot about recently, is do we truly value the right things? And I want to ask you a question today. Do you truly value the right things? Would we value that somebody wants to come along and show us how to live wisely? That someone would actually want to give of their life to show me how to live wisely is magnificent. That is valuable beyond the riches of this world. To be able to sit down and learn wisdom at the feet of somebody who's willing to share it with me or with you, that's something that we should value. It has value far above the immediate, the superficially satisfying. Jesus teaches us this in Isaiah 55, verse 1 through 3. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. For why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you the sure mercies of David. So here in this word, there's counsel from the Lord. Why fritter away your life on material belongings, which cost you a lot, but, but benefit you nothing? Why talk and talk and talk about things that don't edify you, that instead drag you down or even lead you to destruction? Why engage in things which not only don't nourish you, but actually deplete you, rather, Choose things that you can't pay for. Choose to follow the wisdom of God. Choose to feed on his word. That's what the challenge is here. What do we value? Why am I speaking about that in this context? Many of us, if we're honest, we're sitting at our desks. We're sitting in our workplaces. We're mobile around London. We are doing this job, that job, looking after this family, that family, or family member. And along comes Jesus. And he says, come, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. And you go, eh? Fishing men? What are you on about? I'm way too busy doing this. I'm way too busy with my career. I'm way too busy with my priorities and my responsibilities. Nah, thanks, mate. Jesus, whatever. Some of you are looking down because you think I'm talking about you. And it's because I am. See, when we resist and don't follow that call to leave everything and follow Jesus, which is our primary purpose, the destiny for our life is just sailed by. And we're saying, God, fulfill me, fulfill me. And he's just saying, whoa, I just gave you the call. You wanted to do this, and I'm calling you to do that. 
It's because we've misunderstood the value of following Jesus. We've misunderstood the importance of following Jesus. See, if we understood something that is of wisdom, we'd understand this. There's somebody who wants to give their life to show you how to live wisely. In this context, living the way that Jesus would live, that is worth much more than whatever our career is paying us right now or can ever pay us if we stick at it. Because there's something significant in this. God wants you to fulfill your dreams. He wants you to live the dream. That's a dream that's far above everything the world has told you to strive for. The insignificance of worldly wealth. What is the worldly wealth compared with heavenly wealth? God paves his streets with gold. We walk around on gold and yet here we spend all of our lives trying to earn it. There you walk around on it. This world's wealth is insignificant compared to his. Now you might think it's strange that I said my dreams or your dreams. He wants you to fulfill your dreams. But you see, that's the truth. When we give up the material dreams that the world has given us, when we give up the sin-driven dreams which we think will fulfill us and are free to look at what God has prepared for us, that dream that he has placed within your life, your heart, is what will satisfy you and fulfill you the most. And it comes from him. See, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our heart. When we seek after the Lord and love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, guess what? You're aligning yourself to the purpose for what you were created for. And that dream which is inside you, which begins to get fulfilled, wow, that brings forth joy, peace, fulfillment, because you're doing what God has given for you to do. What are you talking about, Gabriel? I'm too focused on this and that right now. Let me tell you, I was watching a waterfall recently. And at the top where the waterfall's running down off the rock, it runs over the surface of a stone. And at the top of that stone, you know, it's pretty inconspicuous. It's just stone. It's ugly. It's rough. But that water is washed away at it, washed away at it, washed away at it, washed away at it. And you begin to see within that stone veins of color and riches. And you look at that stone, and it's so much more beautiful having had the water washing over it than just the surface. That's what I'm talking about right here, is that many of us are too focused on our dreams that are based on the, the surface of our lives, what we've seen right now, the, the roughness. But God is washing away the sin. He's washing away the motives that come with the material world to bring out the true purpose that you're here on this earth for. He's calling you to fulfill your dreams. If ever we think about discipleship and following Jesus, we should think about becoming the best versions of us possible because God is working in and through us. God is revealing who he's created us to be. And he's calling us not only to step out of the boat and follow him, but to take others with us as we call them to follow us as we follow Christ. So I want to talk to you about some practicality, some practical steps of what discipleship looks like. Because we're called to grow in this. 
We need to feed on the Word of God. If we're not catching revelation from God's Word, if we're not feeding on the Word of God in a spiritually satisfying sense, then we need to. Feed on His nature through the Word, through worship. We need to put ourselves in relationship with the church. We cannot grow in our knowledge of God in a void. It has to be done in relationship. See, the command is love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as you love yourself. How can you say you love God whom you cannot see when you cannot love the brother whom you can see? 1 John, if you want to read more on that, 1 John 1. But we need relationship. See, I can tell. Oh, you shouldn't judge people. I tell you, I can tell. I can tell the state of your heart towards God based on the way that you love people around you. Because it's hidden right here. It's not even hidden. It's plain. If you walk past people going, well, I, I was about to kiss my teeth, but I just, I just couldn't do it today. You're shaking your head or inside you're thinking, look at them. Or you know that you've got family members that you haven't reconciled with. Or you know that you have people that you've done bad by and haven't made, made right with them. I can tell. I can tell because your face is long. Instead of joy that comes from being obedient to Christ and loving people, there's sadness, heaviness. Oh my God, I hate this Christian walk. So difficult. Let me hang on by the, my fingernails and maybe I might just make it to heaven. No, it's not what he's called us to live. He's called us to live in deep, meaningful, fulfilling relationships with one another. It's a call to sanctification, walking in holiness. Now that is the process that I spoke about earlier on. It's a call to be developed and step out of our comfort zone. Jesus sent out his 12. It's a call to walk in revelation. He said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? They said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's a call to being sharpened. As iron sharpens iron. I want to call up a few of the guys just to, as we come on to this illustration point, but my 12, some of my 12 are here. If you guys can make your way up, that would be great. Awesome. But it's a call to sharpening. Now, I'll, I'll let one of these guys tell you what it's like to have an experience with sharpening with Gabriel. <laughs> but it's a call to being sharpened. We need to be called to account, to follow Jesus, to, to live in a way which honors him. It's a call to brotherhood. Can you grab the microphone? Microphone, dude. Um, I brought up five of the guys. There's 14 of them, but I think nine of them have good reasons not to be here. They'll be hearing some sharpening words from me later on. Don't worry about that. But what we wanted to do was to just put a bit of this before you. Put a bit of the vision in front of you because we talk about it. This is a vision church where we're focused on the cells and how we disciple one and, uh, each other in the faith. And I wanted to put up five guys in front of you just to show you what discipleship looks like. So we want to ask these guys a few questions. We've got over here a fine young man. Why don't you tell them your name, where you're from, what you do. Hi, my name is Alex. Um, I'm from Germany, Hamburg. Who of you knows the Hamburg? Hamburg, the nicest city of Germany. No, it's not where the hamburgers are from. Um, I'm here with my wife, and I especially came to London with her last year in September to study here at the Bible School, and it's been a great time and uh, really a good time in the 300, enjoying that very much. Amen. Con, who are you? 
Hey, my name is Conrad. Um, I've been serving at KT now for about 10, 10 good years. And uh, yeah, um, I'm a musician. Um, sometimes you'll see me up here on stage uh, playing in the worship team. And yeah, I'm just loving being part of the 300 and doing what God has called us to do yet. Uh, hello, I'm James. I'm uh, studying to be an actuary in the UK, so that's what brought me to the country. Uh, I'm quite so happy. that's an actuary? Yeah. Tell everyone what an actuary is. Uh, financial risk manager. So yeah. pensions and stuff? So pensions and stuff. Okay. I'm currently in that, so that's what I'm training for. Uh, that's why I came to the UK. Really glad to be part of KT. I've been here for the last four years. Uh, grown a lot under Gabriel and just learning from him. Uh, yeah, that's me. Cool. How you doing? My name is Buckin. Um, I, I was just walking along the street and I just got asked to come in here, so I'm... <laughs> no, my name is Buckin and uh, I'm from Scotland and uh, I'm, I'm an actor and uh, I've been uh, part of Gabriel's ministry for four years now. Aye, that's me. Buckin, just talk to a little bit about that. Like, what have you learned? What's, what, have, what has been shaped in your heart? What has God taught you? I think one of the, one of the great things, uh, that, that, the biggest lesson I've learned is humility and uh, certainly being being under Gabriel's guidance is allowing people into your life, but from that place of humility. Just the more humble you can be, the more able, the more easy it is you're able to receive and to learn and to grow in Christ. So I'd probably say from that, a lot of breakthroughs, a lot of discoveries, a lot of a, a lot of accomplishments in Christ and in life have came from that place of humility and being able to to be open to your brothers and say, you know what, this is me, like me and love me. You know, so that's probably the greatest revelation. Being open. And, and, and loving to others. Paul. Um, he said his name was Buchan. Uh, you might not be able to understand him, but um, I'll translate for you. Uh, so, um, so my name's um, my name's Paul Brown. Um, I've been at KT for about two years, um, and it's awesome being part of the 300. I mean, I think the the main thing is that um, that the relationship we develop with these guys is all based upon the fact that we're very open with each other, and so it's about our lives and. The reality of our lives, whether it might be you know good or bad, we share together. Um, this guy is um, is awesome. You know, he challenges you. Um, you know, sometimes well, what you, people. What did, what, did, what did you say? What you really mean <laughs> about the sharpening stuff? You know, the yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> those difficult absolutely. times. Absolutely. So you know, sometimes you know, the reality is, as, I, as I've said before, I mean, you know, we're we're brothers, and so you know, anybody who's got a brother will know that sometimes you might fight or you have a dis disagreement. But the key thing is, it's all about love, and it's about. After that, getting back together and saying, actually, do you know what? You were right, or I still think I was right, and blah, blah, but it doesn't, it doesn't, change, it doesn't, change, the, um, it doesn't change the relationship. And, you know, I've been, you know, it, it's really strange because I've been at this church for two years, but it seems like a lot longer than that because um, these relationships are really deep. And like I said, I've grown, I've got to sell myself, and we kind of meet together, and it's all about, you know, what started here and what started at Katie and, and the work that Gabe was put in. Awesome. Any of you guys want to say anything more? Yeah. yeah? Um, yeah, I think to a certain extent, we've all, we've all kind of touched on what I feel is, is, you know, is the most important thing about discipleship, and, and Gabriel's talking a lot about it today, and that's love. I mean, for me, the biggest thing that has really impacted me is that love is not a passive thing. Love is active, and choosing to love somebody is, um, is about you making the decision that you're going to do something that is going to impact them. And I think that's part of also the maturity is when you get to a point in Christ when you realize that I'm here to love somebody else. 
And so it's a decision that you make that I'm going to love these guys. I'm going to love these people um, no matter what they do to me. And you see, unfortunately, what happens is when you come to church and you're not really committed to, to people around you in a discipleship relationship, it's easy for you to walk out the door and just to say, oh, well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not going to see that guy again or I'm, you know, I'm not going to interact with them again. But when you get into a discipleship relationship, um, you can't just walk away because you're making a commitment that even when they let you down, even when they disappoint you, even when you disagree about stuff, you still have to love them. And you have to uh, be humble enough to say that even though I don't agree with them, I'm going to make the decision to love them. And I think that for me is a big part of uh, being involved in the cell group. And um, yeah. Awesome. Uh, one other point um, is for me that, um, you know, this having this intentional structure of KT where people get discipled, you know, is uh, something that, that really, yeah, that really supports the fact in my life that I need my brothers. And I'm, I'm not here since, since many years, just a couple of months. And what I really, what really touches me is to seeing these guys and to being together with these guys and growing together. And even over this short period of time, building um, solid relationships and growing together for the cause of Christ. And this is something I value very much in this church. Excellent. Excellent. You good? Do you want to say something? Okay, James wants to say something as well. You've got to be equal. I think I've just learned uh, over the years to submit to what God has uh, the person that God has placed as a leader of the house, I think that has been the biggest lesson for me because as a man, you can try and do your own thing and decide you understand or oh, I, can, I can make things happen my own way. But when God places someone like Gabriel as a leader of the 300, then you, you learn to submit to his leadership, his way of doing things and being open to that, being open to being challenged. Why are you doing this? Why are you not doing this? That is really uh, a place of freedom a place where God can really uh, grow you if you're willing to um, lay your own pride down and just go with it. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much, James. <clears throat> now, there's a, a few reasons that I brought those guys up. One is we are a cell church, and we believe very much in the cell vision. I've got 12. Five of them are here today, and you've heard from them. Now, you, did you also notice their professions? Not one of them a minister. In, in, in my sense of the word. We've got uh, Paul Brown. Paul Brown, did you say what you actually do? I don't think you did. So Paul Brown's a head of procurement for a, a massive company. We've got a musician. We've got an actuary. We've got a, a student stroke missionary. And we've got an actor. And we've got TFL staff on, on my 12th. Uh, he's not here today because he knew what you'd say to him as a member of the TFL staff. Um, <laughs> a wide range of people that have come from every background, every nation. We've got German, we've got Kenyan, we've got Zimbabwe, we've got Scotland, we've got uh, Jamaica, yes. Um, as well as uh, a number of others as well, all, from all nations. You see, discipleship doesn't have any filters. The only filter on discipleship is, do you want to follow Jesus? Because if you want to follow Jesus, you come and you follow. You come and let's go, because we're going to follow Jesus and become more like him. And so just a final two minutes. I want to challenge some of you. Some of you have heard about what it is to be made a disciple. You need to take that step. Some of you have had some thoughts on how you can grow as a disciple. But I want to just speak quickly to making disciples. I don't know what I'd do with a disciple. I don't, I don't even know how I'd lead them. That would be the question that's on the forefront of everyone's heart. 
But let me just put it this way to you. God has done something in your life. That's why you're here. Amen? Can I get an amen? amen? Good. Now, what God has done in your life helps somebody else see that themselves. If God has taught you how to be faithful in the middle of a difficult situation, teach them how to be faithful in the middle of a difficult situation. If God has taught you how to lead, teach others how to lead. If God has taught you how to pray, teach others how to pray. If God has made you strong in the word, help others to get strong in the word. If God has made you a man of integrity or a woman of integrity, help someone else become a man or woman of integrity. If you've become a servant, show somebody else how to serve. Whatever God has done in you, the best that God has accomplished in you, reach into somebody else's life and bring it out of them. That's what you do. That's how you make a disciple. And it, it requires faith. I mean, it requires faith to lead these guys every week. Sometimes I look at them and I think, oh my goodness me, how am I going get to a, get a word which is going to challenge them? I'm surrounded by guys who are managing literally millions and hundreds of millions of pounds in their jobs. And I'm sat there like, yeah, we need to follow Jesus. So I need to hear from God. I need faith to do that. We need faith to do that. We need faith to, to stir people up. We need faith to challenge them to become the men and women they need to be. And finally, we need love. If you love people, you'll disciple them. I say it to the guys every single time. I have a great job. I love my job. Every aspect of my job. It fulfills every part of the gifting that God has placed within me, and I expect it to grow and flourish more. But all, all of it's insignificant next to loving my wife and loving the brothers that God has placed in my life and showing them how to become more like Christ. And I tell them that every week, pretty much. If we love people, if we call a revelation of the love of God, how much he loved us to come here for us, and how he's loved us enough to put us in the places where we are receiving ourselves, if we understood what love was, we'd turn around and give it to somebody else as well. It's time for us to get out of our seats whether you're working, not working, this job, that job, you've got a role, a primary purpose, a call that overrides everything else. And I want to see you step into that because it's what Jesus called us to do. Amen? So let's pray. Father, we thank you for that word that has come through the millennia from your son to go into all the world and make disciples of the nations. We're not about making disciplined people who just do the right thing. We're about seeing people transformed through the love of Christ, going out into their communities and being vessels to release your love into the world, Lord. Lord, I pray, Father, for those who have not been able to follow that word for whatever reason. Lord, that you put faith in their heart and strength in their heart to begin to follow you. I pray for those, Lord, that have perhaps lost their way or lost their strength or lost their passion. Peter, we remember when Peter says, where are we going to go? We know that you're the Messiah. We know that you have got the words of eternal life. Lord, where we need refreshing as disciple makers, Lord, I ask that you help us to catch that revelation again. That we're here because of Jesus, because he's given us the word of eternal life. And Lord, we ask, Lord, that you begin to stir something, that we'd see beyond the structure, that we'd see beyond the, the difficulties, and we begin to see to the people in need who need discipleship, the people who need to follow you, Jesus. And Lord, we ask that you begin to awaken that, begin to stir it up, begin to release it. This house is a house that is dedicated to disciple making. And Lord, we pray, Father, that you'd move people from being pew fillers 
to being disciple makers. You move people from being isolated individuals to being in dynamic, powerful relationship with one another. That you'd move people out of material church hopping into a place where they commit to a house and to the vision of God for them. Lord, that you would begin to see your body accomplishing the purpose for which you've given us. Lord, that you give us disciples and we see a massive change. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, let's praise the Lord. Too busy with <coughs> too busy with the God daughter, huh? Oh, sorry. All right. Well, <coughs> Esteban's at the back with my lovely God daughter Regina. So good to see her. We're gonna uh, look forward to seeing you at the five o'clock, <coughs> where Bruce is going to be ministering as well as at the seven. Um, so do join us for those. And remember the Bible school. Remember the Bible school. Going to be talking to some more of you about that. God bless you. Have a great week. Hope you're blessed. See you soon.